Welcome to Scale with Sergio, a market scale podcast where industry experts share valuable insights in their areas, from operations and supply chain to finance and sales. I am your host, Sergio Reyes. We have a really interesting topic today. It is important for all companies, but highly strategic for the retail and fashion industry. And this is the pre-positioning of inventory and visibility of the supply chain in the fashion industry. The supply chain is the backbone of an organization, and great ones focus heavily on designing, constructing, and deploying an efficient and powerful supply chain. To help me with this topic, I have an expert and thought leader. He's also a colleague, friend, and we went to school together at the great Texas A&M University, where he got his master's in industrial engineering. Please welcome Alok Mishra. Head of Operations at SmartWool, a VF corporation. How are you? Thank you for being here. I'm doing wonderful, Sergio. Uh, how are you doing? Great, great. And now, uh, Alok, we're ready for that 90% discount code to SmartWool. <laughs> Absolutely. Any day for you. All right. This is a great topic. Thank you for joining us. And I think we're going to have a great conversation. So why don't we start with um, a few elements uh, that describe the, the supply chain process. I know, obviously, it is important for every organization. It is a strategic. I mean, some large corporations invest a ton of um, resources and, you know, um, you know, money and investment on, on supply chain. So why do you think is that? Let's, let's go through the different uh, maybe three or four elements of the supply chain. So I think, you know, as you rightly introduced, Sergio, uh, pre-positioning is not something, a novel concept. It's a, it's a very standard, you know, you and I went to A&M with an, it has a great industrial engineering program. Uh, pre-positioning as a concept is nothing new. Uh, but I think what makes it a little bit, not really complicated, but, you know, challenging might be the fact that you really need to understand and have visibility of your supply chain end to end. The key topics that I think, you know, that'll help us see the, the benefits of this, I think would be uh, a financial impact, right? So when you are taking the variability of a demand and putting that in a finished goods inventory. Right. This is a very interesting topic. A lot of companies invest a lot of resources designing the perfect supply chain. It is a true a strategic advantage. So why don't we start by talking about some of the core elements that make supply chain so important for a company? So I think from a core element, you know, the, the big aspects would be, uh, you know, the financial impact, right? That's one of the big ones. So inventory management, cash flow, transportation costs, uh, time to market is another one, uh, your ability to react to demand fluctuations, uh, production efficiency, right? Uh, ability to make sure that your production is evenly balanced and executed, uh, end of life management, so complete that cycle, uh, your ability to, uh, you know, make sure that the whole cycle is complete, Okay. And then I, what I wanted to add, uh, just for clarity for the listeners, is that the types of inventory that we're looking at in this supply chain 
It includes um, obviously the sourcing and the raw materials that make the eventual components. So the raw materials is one type of inventory, then components of assembly. It could be another one in a, in a standard traditional supply chain. Then we have the work in progress or the working process, and then you have the finished goods. And so uh, obviously managing those different stages and the levels of inventory at those different stages becomes super important. All right, like you mentioned, Alok, let's start with uh, the financial impact, which is, again, it's impacted by the cash flow or it impacts cash flow. It has to be, uh, you know, uh, analyzed from a transportation cost, the location of that, the inventory uh, levels. So what can you tell me about financial impact of the supply chain? Sure. I mean, so, you know, as I was mentioning, pre-positioning of raw material as a concept is you know, fairly standard, <laughs> but the, what really makes it challenging is, you know, companies need to have a good visibility of their entire end-to-end, -end, as in they really need to know the raw material vendor and their availability and things like that. And from a very concept level, if you think of it, you have a product, you have a market, right? So you have a demand that wants a product. Now there's always going to be fluctuation in the demand signal to take care of that fluctuation you can have a finished goods inventory sit there or you could actually have your raw material uh, inventory which then can be quickly turned into a finished goods so the big difference in terms of the financial impact is if the dollars are sitting at a raw material stage rather than a finished goods stage there's a big difference because by the time something becomes a finished good, it's actually about in a standard retail environment. It is it is close to uh, you know about six times the dollar value. So if you think of it, if you take your variability and you put it in your raw material and not in your finished goods, then you have transferred the the cost that your cash flow is tied to uh, much lower, right? So from a financial perspective, that is one of the biggest uh, gains is that your dollars are tied at the raw material level and not at the finished goods level, right? And that's that helps the cash flow of, of companies. And it doesn't matter whether you're selling computers or phones or apparel or shoes uh, or medicine, right? Uh, the concept is always the same. The cost of raw material is always lower, way lower than your finished goods and the pre-positioning concept actually enables you to keep your dollars tied in the raw material and not at the finished goods level right and and also sometimes what you gain from this is that if let's say you have a lot of time in your pipeline uh, and your production is overseas you can you can ship the product compared to airing the product so you can also realize those benefits but again those are a really case-by-case aspect yeah, and thank you for that. And you know what? It is interesting because a lot of the research that has happened in the to the pre-positioning and, and holding of this inventory has to do with disaster recovery. However, obviously, uh, from a retail and from a uh, just a business perspective, it makes a lot of sense from a financial impact. Now, uh, tell me a little bit, how does that impact also time to market and supply and demand adjustments? which is another key element of managing the supply chain correctly. No, absolutely. So 
you know, one of the things that happens typically when you have a product and typically products, you know, can range from unless, of course, you are in a very short lead time product, in which case it does not really make sense. But typically products are 120 days or more uh, in lead time. And now that a lot of manufacturing happens overseas, I mean, 45 to 50 days just gets added just on the transportation time. Right. So. A lot of times people have to make a decision and especially, you know, bringing this back to the retail and fashion industry, people make a call on what they need about 150 days in advance of when that event really happens, right? So when you start really going close to the selling point, your demand pattern might have shifted, but for you, there's no way to react to it. Because the only way you now get back a new product is 150 days late. So the only other way to make it happen is you then go, you know, high on inventory or you you lose the demand. But in, in the aspect of if you already have pre-positioned raw material and you bring your order cycle closer to your sales, then as the demand fluctuates and as you are introducing a product into the market, and you start seeing the reads and you're like, oh, okay, SKU A is doing way better than what we had thought it. You can now place a order for SKU A because you already had the raw materials a little bit higher than your projected demand. And you're able to convert that raw material into a finished goods and able to recover that, uh, that demand, right? So that is one of the biggest aspects of pre-positioning is your ability to shorten the lead time uh, between a finished goods and a consumer demand, right? And if you're able to manage that, then to a large extent with a much lower finished goods inventory, you're able to meet the demand variability, right? And so that enables your ability to react to the demand. And, you know, we always think of demand upsides. We don't think of demand downsides. One of the big things is also that when the demand drops, uh, you're able to say, oops, let me not buy that anymore. And so, yes, you might end up having a little bit more raw material, but at least you don't have that much finished goods that you have to now worry about, uh, you know, liquidating. Absolutely. And, uh, you know what, I want to just use that comment uh, because one of the elements that I think we should probably expand on, Alok, is why do we even hold inventory? And your that uh, discussion that we had about time to market and supply and demand adjustments is certainly one of them. But just for our listeners, right? So inventory sounds like a really bad idea because having a lot of cash tied into warehouses and everything. But you know, uh, so there's clearly uh, some benefit to that, and actually even strategic decisions that have to be made to make sure that the inventory is at the right place at the right time. So uh, we talked about uncertainties, right? So that's why you will hold inventory. You would hold inventory. There's another one, speculation. If sometimes the companies think the raw materials are going to go higher in cost, well, they tend to buy a little bit of a bigger batch, right? We have also transportation, like you were discussing some of the, them, depending on how close to the source is or how close to the where the demand point is. Um, some of them is seasonality, right, uh, which happens in retail, which happens in many industries where, you know, uh, potentially the Christmas season or the, you know, the winter season is a little bit higher in demand. Uh, logistics and control costs. 
And before we move to the next one, which is um, another important element, which is the production efficiency, I just want to mention that um, sometimes the size of the batch is important in driving the costs. So that is certainly another reason, you know, in addition to the ones that I just listed, of why we have inventory in certain locations. So what can you tell us about, after we talked about the financial impact, after we talked about the time to market, tell me how does the inventory in a supply chain and the positioning of this impact production efficiency for your manufacturing facilities? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good point, uh, Sergio, because if you look at it, the minimum order quantity, right? People who understand MOQ, you know that, you know, whenever you're buying, uh, you know, that is one of the aspects that can drive inventory higher, just because you have to buy to the minimum order quantity. And, and to a large extent, you know, if you think of the production houses, uh, their main, main concern always is to make sure that they are running to their capacity uh, at an even keel, right? They don't want to have a 150% demand on a week and then another week of 30% demand. Uh, factories don't work efficiently. They can't fire their workers uh, you know, one week and hire them back uh, two times the, the labor force two weeks from now, right? So for them, their fixed cost is pretty much baked in. Uh, and so if you really were to uh, be able to look at your raw materials and you're able to plan and then balance the factory loading, then that's one of the things that really helped in the production efficiency. So if you have already pre-positioned a lot of the raw materials, then guess what? If you know that you know there are certain core products that you always know are, are doing very well, then there are times when uh, you know your current demand signal is saying, oh, I don't think I need as much you can actually balance it better and, and bring in some of the core and fill up uh, the, the shortage of the demand in that time. And the only reason you can do it is because you already have the raw material, right? If you didn't have the raw material, then even if you wanted to do it, you couldn't because the lead time of the raw material will become a bottleneck, right? So from a smart supply chain perspective, uh, and, and, and you and I have lived through this, Sergio, you, you are yourself a supply chain expert and, you know, our days in, in, in Nokia uh, together, which was one of the really great supply chains. Uh, it is very critical that you plan your raw material, right, in a, in a slightly separate cycle, a little bit ahead than your finished goods, so that you're able to plan the production and not let that raw material become a bottleneck. Right. And that is one of the very critical things. And production efficiency drives your cost also. So that's another thing that impacts your financial. Right. Because if your cost of goods somewhere or the other in the supply chain, it will show up as a cost. Right. If you're, if you're not efficient, the cost of your product is going to be higher because the production person is not going to take a loss for you. So it's, it's critical that you maintain that. And that's one of the other very big elements of core supply chain is you have to make sure that your production efficiency is very high. Uh, to be engineers talking, so there's definitely time to geek out a little bit. Let's let's geek out a little bit together. So this is where the topic bridges from supply chain to actual production control or production scheduling. So Alok, I know you're an expert on supply chain and, and scheduling. Um, like you said, we, we've done this at Nokia and we've done it at other places. Tell me a little bit about when you hear about push 
pull systems, you know, MRP versus J just in time type of production. Just tell me a little bit about based on your experience, when do you use one and when do you use the other one? Why is one more beneficial or is, is it more beneficial than the other one? I mean, they all have relevance in every industry, right? Because, and to a large extent, uh, we have to be careful on the generalization, right? So sometimes the raw materials are very expensive. So in, in those cases, it, it is very critical. And sometimes the raw materials also have a, a life cycle. So, you know, from our background, uh, Sergio, uh, you know, some of these raw, if, if your product, especially in, in, in like the cell phone industry or in the tech industry where constantly innovation is happening, uh, you know, a, a particular LCD screen uh, could become, uh, you know, which is valuable right now, might lose its value in six months. Uh, in, in those cases, the aspect of, uh, you know, the just-in-time across the entire chain becomes very critical because you don't want to have too much of the buffer. And if you did have too much of the buffer, guess what? It will lose its value very fast, right? Uh, the, the aspect of MRP is relevant irrespective, right? <clears throat> so MRP pretty much is, is the ability for you to balance your demand and supply and, and run your requirements and then plan along with it. As, as concepts, these are always very uh, relevant concepts because just in time is whether you need it or not as a concept is always uh, enables you to be bring your uh, your production and your raw materials very close to each other and a lot of times what happens in supply chain is people don't really push themselves right they don't push for optimization uh, because sometimes it's not needed but guess what i mean that's you know a true optimizer always thinks of optimizing whether it is, uh, you know, because there's always, you can always gain that extra dollar. But a lot of times, you know, when products think that, oh, I am already making a lot of margin, I don't really need to optimize my backend, my supply chain or my production because I can recoup that cost in selling at a higher price point. Uh, but a true supply chain person knows I can, I can get that another dollar and optimize it better. So, I would always be an advocate for just in time and, and, and you know, the MRP and those aspects, the push and pull systems are, are designed in such a way that, you know, they, they create that, uh, the symbiosis where, you know, my demand fluctuates and how much should my supply fluctuate along with it? Uh, how quickly do I react? Uh, so I think some of those aspects are always very true. And I think, uh, especially in the retail world, right, where I went later on in my career, as I realized is that brand value has a lot of driver, right? So people know that I can drive much more profit margins just by the branding aspect of things and marketing. Uh, so I don't really need to recover that extra dollar. But, uh, you know, that's where I was going in and challenging those industries because, you know, coming from the tech background where, we cared about every aspect of inventory just because the inventory lost its value very fast. Uh, it is really critical that even in other industries, we implement some of those, uh, you know, higher concepts and, and get better value.
Thank you for that. And that's great explanation. And just to summarize for the listeners, when we describe a push system, and help me with this, Alok, but when you describe a push system, it's basically production to a schedule, production to a forecast. So you're basically anticipating the demand that you're going to have in two, three, four, six months, and then you start producing and allocating resources to produce the, the your your product, right? For that for that time frame, on the pull system is um, uh, production to demand. So you only produce what you need when you need it. And so like Alok was describing, it has to do with the inventory value, et cetera. But, um, but anyway, anything you want to add to that? No, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of the, you know, the just-in-time and the pool systems are gaining definitely much more traction, you know, as people, as the technology is enabling us to learn the consumer pattern more quicker and react to it, right? Compared to 20 years back, where the even the point of sale data was harder to kind of get uh, in, a, in a timely fashion, right? But now that we are able to, every, you know, the buying is happening on a cell phone, it is kind of combined, you can see the demand, the ability to uh, process data is so high now that, you know, we are able to get those demand signals way, way, way faster and way more accurate than the past, right? So the pool system actually definitely eliminates a lot of waste into the process, right? Because it's simply pulling what is needed rather than creating a, a, a whole bunch of supply and then trying to push it down a channel, right? The pool system definitely is much more uh, customer-centric uh, because you're able to see what the customer really wants and you're able to... Uh, make your supply chain react to it. So I would definitely say that, you know, as time has gone by, the demand leading the supply versus the supply leading the demand uh, definitely has, you know, you've seen that tipping uh, of, of, of that aspect, right? And I think we are able to react to it also because now we have way better advanced planning systems. Uh, those thought processes definitely exist now. Technology has definitely impact, uh, impacted the way you plan supply chain. Um, so the last element, Alok, I'm super interested in because we've talked about execution side, the execution, maybe even the sourcing of the raw materials, where to, where to position them. We've talked a little bit about the factors that it would influence a higher or lower inventory, and that is awesome. But then you end up with end-of-life management. And... That is something that you can simply ignore and then have a bunch of wasted product at the end of your line or at the end of your in life of that product, or you can do something about it proactively, right? So um, super interesting. So what can you tell me about the end of life management, basically the eliminating ex excess and closing that loop for that product life cycle? Yeah, so I mean, it is, it is absolutely critical and this is what completes the cycle, right? So if you think of what we discussed in the beginning, what we are essentially talking about is that, uh, you know, we kind of predict what our demand needs to be. We go a little bit higher. We buy the, we kind of go ahead and invest in the raw material. We secure the raw material. And then as we get closer to demand, we are turning that into a finished goods, right? So of course, in this process, you will have excesses in raw material, right? And if you think of from an overall supply chain, 
your demand variability will create an excess one way or the other, right? Now, the difference is that you have shifted the excesses from being excesses in finished goods to being an excesses in raw material. Now, different industries could react differently, right? But in the fashion and apparel space, you can really close the loop and you can be very well tied to your product development team and give them a heads up on what's coming so they can actually develop a brand new product out of those, right? And you can introduce that into your next season. So you have not really created any waste. You have actually reused the whole and use it. And, and let's say if you had uh, some leftovers that really can't go into the brand's idea of what can be presented next season, you can turn that into a product that you can then liquidate and take it into the second uh, line uh, customers, right? So if you think of TJ Maxx and Ross and uh, the that entire chain of industry that uh, you know survives on the on on the second quality products, then feeding them consistently is also very important because you need to have that channel always alive. So that enables you to actually uh, create a product sometimes just for that channel, but one way or the other, you have really completed the loop and you have used all your raw material which were excess and now you're you're back again right and it's a cycle it just keeps going on and on but in this way you have met your customers demand exactly as they wanted you have not created any extra waste and you know you're out of the cycle once back again and you know the end of life is managed very efficiently in this process is there a scenario does the end of life management only applies to finished product or is there a situation where you can see where you can actually reuse some of the components or work in progress towards another product how flexible for example is in the smart world case or maybe in the fashion industry something that is obviously if it's a raw material i don't see why you wouldn't transfer into something else but um do you see any other uh, you know middle of the of the process stages where you can use that material to produce some a different fabric, a different uh, item. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, if you break it down, so you think of it, uh, yarn, right? And there are different kinds and colors of yarn uh, that might be an excess for it. And you could have them in the raw material, and the, some yarn could have already been turned into a fabric, right? Which is your middle uh, portion, uh, and if, 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 if they're in the yarn state or they're in a fabric state, you can always create another fabric with the yarn. So for example, let's say you have nylon left, uh, you could make a blend uh, and have a 80% cotton and a 20% nylon and make another completely different fabric out of it, right? So the ability to go create something is, is definitely there, right? And of course, different industries have different flexibility. But even if I think of, you know, our background in, in cell phones, for example, right? If you have a leftover uh, key, for example, or the LCD, right? Uh, clearly, if there was a process of that LCD being designed into another product, uh, an LCD is an LCD. It can go in one form, it can go in another form, right? It's just a matter of that thought process of we can quickly redesign it uh, into another phone. And again, you can use different markets for it, right? You can have 
a regular product development cycle for your main core market, but you can have this secondary set of products that are coming out for a different set of channels or markets, right? So there are, there are markets that probably don't buy at the same level as US for probably does, but they probably are, are hungry for a good product at a lower price. That's those, some of these products can go into those markets very easily, right? Because again, from a quality perspective, they are great quality products, right? It just sometimes brands want to have a look and feel in a certain way, and it may not fall into that all the time. But again, the possibilities are endless. It's just a matter of connecting the dots, right? Because we always think this flow as a linear. Once it has passed to the supply chain, supply chain only thinks about liquidating or crushing it, right? The aspect of taking it back and embedding it into the product development cycle so that a part of the product development is also dedicated to using. And it is good from even a sustainability perspective, Sergio, right? I mean, a lot of times you would just crush these products in landfill. I would want them to be reused rather than, you know, go to a landfill and, and, and get wasted. So if, if there's a loop that takes it back and re makes, repurposes them and makes a new product out of it, a win-win, right? Dollar-wise a win and even uh, nature-wise a win. And, you know, it, it's a lot of good points from it. Yeah, excellent point. And as you were discussing that, that's why, and this is a little bit off topic and maybe we can discuss this in a different episode, but uh, that is why design for manufacturing or, you know, design for the supply chain as well. I, I don't see why that term wouldn't be... A, uh, applicable to the supply chain as well is so important because if you design unique components for every single product that you have, you increase your risk of keeping components that are unique to that product and therefore not reusable when then the impact sustainability and impact cost, et cetera, et cetera. So when the R&D world is designing new products, they have to keep that in mind to make sure that those components. And again, you see it in, in fleets of airplanes, you see it everywhere. Like when the more uh, standard or interchangeable components we have, the better it is for the supply chain to be managed, right? And to be more efficient. You're absolutely right, Sergio. And sometimes it's just a thought process, right? Because if you think of bigger the company, there are many silos, right? And each silo is creating its own product, not knowing that they all, each silo could be sharing and can share 60% of the raw material. So, and this is where I think supply chain really has another part to play. So when you're really starting to look at your raw material much more closely, uh, you are actually now also going to embed yourself with this R&D and say, hey, by the way, your uh, you know, the, this particular component of yours and that component from that other one, they're like 98% similar. But that 2% difference is making me drive two separate components. Is there a possibility that we can combine them and just have one, right? And that's, that's another key part that you, you just mentioned, right? The ability to uh, the design for manufacturing in such a way that as much of you're creating uh, products that, are, that can be reused, and, and goes across a company, the better it is because you can create products with it uh, again and again, right? And you have less wastage. 
All right. Well, uh, we've talked about a lot of elements. Um, I just want to bring us back to, uh, you know, just a little bit of a summary of what we discussed today, which I think it's um, very cool. So one of them is you mentioned pre-positioning. And again, it has to do with the science behind uh, locating the inventories that they're in the right place and then adjusting the right level to make sure that you're meeting your requirements and your demand. And uh, we talked about factors like transportation costs, like is it closer to the demand source? Is it closer to the supply source? What is more convenient for that particularly? Now, the time to location, which impacts the time to market, and um, obviously the storage capacity, production efficiency. So uh, clearly this has a, the design of a uh, you know, well-managed supply chain has to do with um, a financial impact of the organization or can produce incredible benefits in that regard. We also have, again, the time to market, the supply and demand adjustments. We talked about production efficiency, the size of the production batches, whether it makes sense for economies of scale to produce more at the same time. And then the um, obviously importance of the end of life, which is, you know, once the product is, um, you know, sunsetted, what do you do with the components left in the in the supply chain as well as the final product? Um, anything else that you want to add on this topic? I'll quickly add one aspect, you know, which is a little bit different from this, but very relevant to what's happening with the COVID-19 uh, situation, Sergio. So, if you think of it, when something drastic like this happens, supply chains that are very well connected to the raw material, they're able to push the brakes faster as well. So it's not just about reacting to the, dem uh, the customer demand, which I, you know, as I said, upside, but when something drastic like this happens, the companies that will come out of this or actually even survive <laughs> are the ones who are able to push the brakes without really having tons of uh, finished goods inventory in the process, right? So the companies who probably did not have a lot of pre-positioning or these you know, basic concepts very well strong, uh, they would be left with huge amount of inventory which would have tied their cash and cash is king. And at this point, if they're if they not earning, if the retail is closed and they're not earning, they would go bankrupt, right? So this is one of the things that you, know, you don't think of when things are running very normal. And not these situations don't come very often, but even when they come, they can wipe you out. So that's another uh, very strong reason why, you know, being this pre-positioning as a strategy and then being very connected to your back end of your supply chain is so critical. Is that that would have, if, if, if you would have pushed your brakes and you only had your uh, liabilities in raw material and you're able to quickly uh, you know, turn back up again uh, to whatever the new demand would be, you're king, whereas some of your competitors might have died. Very, very true. Very, very true. You know, and it helps also when um, um, I think they, <laughs> on, a, on the lighter side of, of this, we they need people like you and me to design a good supply chain and to be the architects. I, I, I see a lot of, um, and, and this is perhaps a, a relatively new concept. Uh, Alok, I don't know what your thoughts is. This is a little bit, again, I, I like this topic a lot, but the uh, supply chain architects. Um, do you recall, I mean, we, we had uh, supply and demand managers. We had a supply chain leader 
But uh, did you recall, I don't know, 10 years ago that we had supply chain architects? Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, uh, I, I keep telling people, right? I mean, Nokia was a leader. Uh, that's the only company that had the supply chain process architects, which kind of almost uh, pretty much, you know, they reported to the CEO, like it was that important. The whole stream, right? It was almost like your brain of the company that constantly innovates and thinks about from a supply chain perspective, right? And operations is a very, very critical element. So, you know, it, it is something that you can, when everything is running normal, you know, you're not really looking at it, but it's one of those things that can actually make and break uh, a, a company very easily because you could have a great product But if you can't bring to market with the right quality and the right timing and with the right amount of cash flow and all of that, companies don't survive that. So, you know, I mean, you, you, you're right, Sergio. I mean, that, that was one of the things that that's a big aspect. And, uh, you know, we tend to forget unless we have these big events that come through and then shake us. That's right. And then we realize what we should have done or hopefully you've already done and then reap the benefits of that. Well, um, Alok, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate your expertise and your um, your thought leadership here. Uh, I hope you can join us again in the future. My pleasure, Sergio, and, and, and you're doing such a great job by uh, bringing all these key topics to to people and you know people who are interested in supply chain. And I look at it as a lot of youngsters who are just joining into this field, right? They would so much benefit from from your podcast and learning Uh, the experiences of, of, of people who are experienced, who have learned from their mistakes and, uh, you know, different aspects and, and, and just take it once one notch up. So all the best to you for your uh, podcast. Keep it going. Uh, and I'll be, it'll be my pleasure to, to join you and, and geek out with you again. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, Alok. Appreciate it and have a great day. You too. Bye.